Well, good morning again. Begin with a question this morning. It's a question I want you to ask yourself. Who am I? If you were to ask yourself that question, how would you respond? Who am I? Maybe you'd give your name, right? (laughs) Um, Maybe your answer would be tied to what you do, your vocation. Uh, I'm an accountant. I'm a mother. I'm a student. I'm a pastor. But the question is, where do you get your identity? Is it in what you do? Is it in your accomplishments? Or maybe sometimes I think we place it in our failures, right? Is it from your looks or your abilities? Is that where you get your identity? Well, as Christians, we know that our identity is, is to be found in our relationship with Jesus Christ. And so the reason I began there is because today we're embarking on a new sermon series on our identity in Christ. And so I'd invite you please to turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1, the very first book of the Bible. Genesis chapter 1, and we're going to begin with the very first verse. So if you're using the Black Bibles, it can be found on page 1. Again, our sermon series is going to be on our identity in Christ, and so for the rest of the sermon series, we'll focus on what the Bible teaches about our identity in Christ. In other words, we'll we'll study what the Bible says is true of us as Christians. But today, to start us off, I wanted to kind of take a step back and study what is true of every human being, whether they're a believer or an unbeliever. And so for that, we look to the biblical account of creation. I'm going to read a large section here, so I'd invite you please to stand once again in honor of God's word. Please follow along in your copy of of God's word. Genesis 1.1 In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, Let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse, and it was so. And God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together in one place, and let the dry land appear, and it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas, and God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit, in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. 
The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, let the earth bring forth creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I've given you every uh, plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made. And behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Now skipping ahead to chapter 2, verse 5, and this section retells the creation of Adam and Eve, just with more detail. Verse 5, when no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground, and a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. Skipping down to verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. 
I will make a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens, to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother And hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Thanks be to God for his word. Please be seated. These verses answer the questions that haunt many people today Who am I? Why am I here? The secular world has no good answer for that at all. Evolution has no answer for that. If you believe that we in this world are the, results of, uh, are the result of billions of years and of chance and random mutations, then what purpose could you have? If evolution were true, then why place any value on human life at all? Again, who am I and why am I here? The Bible, God's Word, has the answer. The title of the sermon this morning is, I am created by God in His image. That's what we've just seen from God's Word. Every one of us is created by God in His image. And today I want to share three truths about your life that we see from the Bible related to this. And I've worded these statements in the first person, just like I did the title of the sermon But understand, they are true of every human life, beginning with the first man and woman, Adam and Eve. And here's truth number one, if you want to jot these down. Again, these are true about you. My life was planned by God. Truth number one is, my life was planned by God. In other words, you are not an accident. You are not the product of randomness and chance. God chose to create you. God chose to give you life. The word of God tells us that God created the world and everything in it. And we see from these opening chapters of Genesis that the the pinnacle of God's creative work was when he personally formed man and woman. I don't know if you noticed the change in the pattern there as we read through it, right? With, with the rest of creation, God spoke it into existence, right? The previous acts. Let there be, right? And, and, and let the waters swarm. Let the earth bring forth. But with mankind, it was different. God reached down and grabbed a handful of dust. And God personally fashioned Adam and breathed into him the breath of life. No other created thing has the breath of life poured into it, except mankind. A few verses later, then God takes a rib from Adam's side and forms a woman. 
So Adam and Eve were personally created by God, and that is true of every human being throughout history. Please turn to Psalm 139. Psalm 139, verse 13. If you're using the Black Bibles, that can be found on page 522. I just want want you to see that what was true of Adam and Eve is, is true of us as well, that we are personally created by God. Our lives were planned by God. In other words, we're not an accident. He chose to give us life. Psalm 139, verse 13. There David says to God, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. How beautiful is that? Every one of us could echo those words. Every one of us is created by God. And so again I say, you are not an accident. You are not the result of of randomness and chance. God chose to create you. God intentionally formed you, knitting you together in your mother's womb. God wanted you to have life. And you're not just a nameless number within humanity. God created you by name and specifically ordained your days. David said that. He ordained your days of life for a reason. God in his sovereign wisdom chose for you to be born at the time you were born, in the place you were born, and to the family you were born. You could jot this passage down. Acts 17, verse 24. That's when the Apostle Paul is is preaching there and he says, the God... Again, Acts 17, 24. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling places, that they should seek God And perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. You see the truth there. God created us and is actively involved in our lives. And he gave us life in this time and place for a reason. He placed us in our current families. And again, whether by birth or by adoption... He placed us there for a purpose. What is that purpose? Well, Acts 17 said it there. That we would seek him and perhaps feel our way toward him and find him, though he's not far from each one of us. He created us that we would seek him, find him, know him, live with him, and live for him. Every one of us today can say with certainty, my life was planned by God 
I am not an accident. God made me and he sustains me now for a reason. Which leads to our second truth about ourselves. My life is dependent upon God. My life is dependent upon God. The truth that God created me speaks to the fact that I'm a creature who's utterly dependent upon God. I began reading a book this week on our identity in Christ, and that was by Jerry Bridges, and that's where he started. You're a creature. (laughs) I'm a creature, right? You and I do not have life in and of ourselves. We, like the rest of creation, depend on God to sustain our lives, right? The the divine name of God is Yahweh, I am. He has life in and of himself, but that's only true about God. The rest of us depend on him. Psalm 145, verse 15 and 16 say, The eyes of all look to you, talking about God, and you give them their food in due season. You opened your hand. You satisfy the desire of every living thing. A similar passage, Psalm 104, verses 27 through 30, says of created beings, These all look to you to give them their food in due season. When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are filled with good things. When you hide your face, they are dismayed. When you take away their breath, they die and return to their dust. When you send forth your spirit, they are created, and you renew the face of the ground. Now, these passages are primarily referring to the animal kingdom, but mankind is equally dependent on the Lord for life. The food we eat, the air we breathe, the water we drink, the right atmosphere and temperature in which to live, all of that comes from God. As humans, we pride ourselves in our our abilities and our accomplishments. We work hard to grow food, to make money and, and, and accomplish great feats. Yet we must never forget that we are dependent upon God. We must heed the the same warning that God gave the nation of Israel back in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 17 and 18. He was preparing them for when they went into the promised land and were able to settle down and, and, and start raising their families. He says there in 817, Beware lest you say in your heart, My power and the might of my hand has gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth. See, we're utterly dependent upon God. God gives us the strength and ability to make money and provide for our families. God is the one who keeps our hearts beating and our lungs breathing. Remember what we read earlier in Acts 17, 25 says of God that he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. Every day, every moment is a gift from God. So how should that truth impact impact us? Well, remembering that we are creatures who are utterly dependent upon God should, number one, make us grateful, make us thankful, right? Thank you, Lord, for giving me life. (laughs) Thank you for giving me health. Thank you for this day. Thank you for this air. Thank you for this food. Thank you for this clothing and shelter. Thank you for my family as imperfect as they are, 
right? Thank you. Thank you for any ability or, or skill or talent or, you know, job that I have. That's all because you've given that to me and you've provided for me. You've opened up the doors. Thank you for my mind that can, can learn things and, and, and be trained to do things. And of course, as Christians, then we enter into a whole other uh, unending gamut of, of thankfulness for our salvation as well. As we talked about last week, thanksgiving is a foundational way for us to bring glory to God and to cultivate joy in our lives. So that's one way it should, this truth about God having created us and, and we're utterly dependent upon him, how that should impact us is we should be grateful. And here's another way, remembering that we are creatures who are utterly dependent upon God should keep us humble, right? And those are tied together, aren't they? Being thankful should also produce or be a close cousin to being humble, recognizing I depend on God to keep me alive. It doesn't matter how fit I want to be and how much I, you know, how healthy I try to eat. And again, we're to be good stewards of our body. I understand that. But it doesn't matter. I'm utterly dependent upon God for life. Psalm 90, verse 12. A Psalm of Moses, interestingly enough, says, So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Psalm 90, verse 12. James in the New Testament, chapter 4, verses 13 through 15, say, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. And again, that's not, that passage is not saying, Hey, don't ever plan. It's just saying, Don't be presumptuous. Remember, you are dependent upon God. You don't know if you're going to be alive five minutes from now, right? I don't know how long I will live, but I do know that life is short. That's what James 4 is saying, right? It's a mist. It's a vapor that's here today and gone tomorrow. So soon your life on earth will be over. And you will stand before God, your creator, to give an account. Are you ready for that day? Are you ready to stand before God? As creatures, we owe our creator obedience and worship, but we all fall short of that. And only those who are forgiven and and counted righteous in Christ will be able to pass that final judgment. So remembering that we are creatures should keep us humble. Pride is such a spiritual danger, right? You know that, how dangerous pride is? Think about it. Pride can keep an unbeliever from turning to Christ for salvation. And, and pride is dangerous in the life of a believer as well. It, 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 pride can stagnate our growth and it can bring hurt to others. But remembering that we are creatures who are utterly dependent on God for everything should keep us humble. And in humility, then, we should express our daily dependence upon God. Think about the, 
the, the Lord's Prayer, what many have right, uh, maybe is better said, the disciples' prayer. In other words, teach, remember how the Lord taught us how to pray. Matthew 6, I'm jumping to the middle of it, the beginning of the prayer talks, is God-focused, right? How will be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. But when it gets to the petitions, Matthew 6, 11, you see that humility, you see that dependence being expressed. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We are dependent upon the Lord, not only physically, but spiritually. We depend on God to protect us from evil, to help us flee temptations, and by his spirit to put to death our sin that remains. So that's, all that is is. Truth number two, which flowed right out of truth number one, right? My life was planned by God. I've been created by him. And truth number two, my life is utterly dependent upon God. So thirdly, third truth, and we'll spend the rest of our time on this one. My life has a purpose. My life has a purpose. And for this, I... Go back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and following. That's the passage that we want to center the rest of our time on, really. Let me read, begin reading part of it for you again. Genesis 1, 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God, verse 27, created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Those two phrases, in our image and after our likeness, those are two ways of saying the same thing. That humans are created in the image of God. God creates mankind in the image of God. And this sets man apart from every other creature that's been made. Again, Yes, we are creatures, and like the animals, we're dependent upon God, but we are not just a a more developed form of animal, okay? That's what the secular world would teach. No, there is a distinction. Again, mankind is the only one who God breathed the breath of life into. Mankind is the only one who is said to be made in God's image, We are different from the animals. So what does it mean that mankind was made in the image of God? Well, I mean, the simplest way to, to think about that, you could say it a few different ways, but is mankind was made to resemble God. To resemble God, to display God's character, to reflect his glory. We are made to bring glory to God by representing him here on the earth. Man is, what the Bible is teaching us here is that man is to be the bearer of certain of God's attributes. Those of you who have studied God's attributes, you know there are some that are incommunicable, ones that he doesn't share with, with us. His omnipotence and his omniscience and eternality, right? But there are a whole other 
uh, set of his attributes that are communicable, that he does share with us, that we are to reflect in some way to bring him glory. And that's related to this. We are made in the image of God. We're made to resemble him, to represent him. If you're in Genesis there, just turn ahead to chapter 5. Chapter 5, verse 1 of God's word says, This is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. There's our, our truth there again, right? Male and female, he created them. And he blessed them and named them man when they were created. When Adam, verse 3, had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. So there you kind of see the the same concept, but now it's just talking about, well, Seth is made in the image of Adam. Well, what what does that mean? Well, again, it means that Seth is going to bear some of the um, characteristics of Adam, right? Kids, you know, tend to look like their biological parents in some way. And they also tend to have some of the same mannerisms as their biological parents, right? They resembled them in some way. My point is, that's what it, that same um, phrase is, is, is what's describing how we are all made in the image of God. And mankind alone is made in the image of God, created to represent God, to reflect the glory of who he is. And so to be in the image of God is, is why as, as human beings, as mankind, we can think, we can decide, we can reason, we have wills. God gave us wills, he gave us emotions, he gave us a moral conscience. All because we're made in his image and those, those um, characteristics, those abilities are, are so we can use those to reflect the glory of who he is. And here's, here's a specific and important way that we are to resemble and bring glory to God. God is personal. God is personal, so he made mankind personal beings. Again, go back to our main passage in Genesis chapter 1. Notice verse 27, very important here. Right? So where he said, verse 26, that he made made man in his own image. Verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So it's saying men and women are both made in the image of God. And there's something about the fact that he made mankind, male and female, in the image of God. That relates to us being in the image of God. That relates to how we can reflect his glory. So the image of God is expressed in the male and female relationships within mankind. And of course this is talking about Adam and Eve, which is the first marriage specifically but think about how that reflects God God is personal God is triune three in one God has a perfect loving relationship between God the Father God the Son God the Holy Spirit and so that's always been the case about God from eternity past, he, he wasn't lacking in any way. He didn't, he didn't create man because he was lonely, but he created us to show his glory. 
but God is personal. And, and think about how he relates to within the, the Godhead, within the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now then he makes us personal beings to be able to relate to each other in a way that reflects his glory. God made us personal beings so we can display his attributes and how we relate to each other. Adam and Eve's love and every husband and wife after them, after every husband and wife's love after them, <laughs> is to display something of God's character. And again, it's not only in marriage relationships, I'll talk about that more in a moment, but in how we relate to one another within the body of Christ, how we love our neighbor, all of that is to reflect God's character. Again, think about the distinction here. All of creation displays God's glory. The stars, the mountains, the oceans, plants, animals, they all display the, the glory. The heavens declare the glory of God, right? They, they, the, the creation shows God's power, his majesty, his wisdom, his beauty, his creativity, his goodness, his provision. But only mankind is made in the image of God and only mankind is a person who has those kinds of relationships. Only mankind can reflect how God is a personal, loving God. Another aspect of this, being made in the image of God, is only human beings have souls. Right? So it's not just in our relationship with each other that we reflect God's glory or bring him glory but it's also then meant to be in our relationship to God God created us bodies and souls so that we can relate to God again he's a personal God animals don't sit around and (laughs) relate to God right they don't ponder their existence they don't raise their hands and worship right you know they don't pray People do. Being made in the image of God means mankind only represents God in relationships. And mankind, another way we're related to our being made in the image of God is to have dominion over the earth, right? We see that in verses 28 and following. I won't read all that again. But that's what he says. Hey, go have dominion. Subdue the earth. Fill it. Adam and Eve were to be fruitful and multiply that they might rule the earth to subdue the planet. And again, that was a way of them reflecting who God is, right? Because earlier in creation, in the creation week, God was the one naming the things he created, right? But then God delegates that to Adam there in chapter 2. You name the animals, right? Now you're representing me on, here on earth. You're like my vice regent here. You're carrying out my authority naming the animals then Adam and Eve together were to tend the garden be fruitful and multiply so they're made in the image of God to to bring him glory but we know the, the biblical account what happened right in a very short time those first humans Adam and Eve disobeyed God by bringing and brought sin into the world and now we're all born sinners And so sin has come in and it has marred and twisted and corrupted God's image in us. It hasn't taken it away. We're still made in the image of God, but now we don't reflect his glory like we should. We're a poor reflection of who he is. 
We're not holy like God is holy. We're not loving like God is loving. We're selfish oftentimes in our relationships. We're often not good stewards of creation like God created us to be. Rather than worshiping, loving, obeying, and living with God in thankful and intimate dependence, we often forget him, ignore him, disobey him, try to usurp him by nature and replace him by being lords of our own life. That's the reality of this world, right? We're talking about what's true of all humans. They were all made to reflect God's glory, but because of sin, they all fall short. We all fall short by nature of that. And because of our sin, the Bible says we're condemned by God and headed for eternal judgment. But here's where the good news of the gospel comes in. The good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel means good news. Jesus rescues us from sin. And I don't have a lot of time to develop this, but you know, it's, Christ is, is, the, is the perfect image of God, right? We're made in the image of God, but Christ is the image of God. Not, he's not made in it, he's, he is the image of God. And so now, because of his, what he has come and done by living and dying and rising again in the place of sinners like us, we have hope. Christ did what Think about that, his life, his death. Christ did what Adam couldn't do. He did perfectly bring, reflect God's glory and bring glory to God. And so he is the second Adam. He, through his life and then his sacrificial death, he undoes the curse that Adam brought for all who place their faith in him. Jesus saves us from our sins. He gives us eternal life. And then he begins that process of restoring, or I'll say it this way, of growing in us the image of God. Growing in, the, in how we reflect the, God's character. Again, fallen man, we'll, we'll see that in a, few, in a little bit. Fallen man is still made in the image of God. But now because of Christ and because he makes us new creations and because the Holy Spirit comes in and, and dwells in us, through his power, through his sanctification, we can grow in how we reflect God's glory and how we resemble God and how we carry out our purpose. Ephesians 4, and 24 says, to put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. The parallel passage in Colossians 3 says the same thing. I'll, get, I'll just get to the end of it. Verse 9, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. One more verse here, 2 Corinthians 3.18. And we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. If you're in Christ, that's what God is doing in you. He's, He's transforming you. He's sanctifying you into the image of Christ so that you can more accurately reflect the glory of who God is. And he's reconciled you to God, remember? That was, that was a big part of how, who, how we've been created to be, right? We're given souls. We were made to have this relationship with God. But sin 
separates us from God, but through Christ we're reconciled back to our creator. So the gospel restores and, and empowers us for how, we've been, how we were created to be. And that is bringing glory to God through our relationship with him and through reflecting his glory to others. So let me kind of bring a lot of this together and just in how we do that, how we should think about this world because the secular world, the philosophies, the teachings of the secular world are attacking a lot of the truths that we read today. Remember, the image of God remains in all people. Every person born today is still created in the image of God. If you want to study that yourself, you can look at Genesis 9, verse 6. That's after the flood and after Noah and his family comes out of the ark. It's kind of like they're given the, the, a repeat of, of what Adam and Eve were given, right? Now, now you guys go and subdue, fill the earth, right? The, earth's been dis- the population, the earth's been destroyed. But now you go and fill the earth. But Genesis 9, 6 says, Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. So how do we know that, that again, an- that people are not just animals? How do we know that, that um, life has value and dignity? Because it's made in the image of God. We are made in the image of God. Every person is made in the image of God. And here in that passage, that's why it says murder is wrong. James chapter 3, verse 9, is, another, is a New Testament passage that again shows us that fallen man is in the image of God. Talking about with our tongues, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. So you see, this, this truth should be our worldview then in how we live and that will enable us to then reflect God's glory. Yes, the image of God in in mankind has been marred, it's been distorted, it's been perverted, but it still remains and so all life has value and that has to shape our understanding and how we think and act. Another way of saying it, all life is precious from the womb to the tomb. Life is precious because it's made in the image of God. From the unborn baby to the old person with Alzheimer's, every person has dignity because they are created by God in his image. And so every person that we meet, no matter their color, their age, their health, their mental capacity, no matter their education, their economic status, every person we meet should be treated with dignity and love. Because they are made in the image of God. They have souls. Every person we see, whether it be a homeless person, a, a gangbanger, a person who has is, is devoted themselves to sin, they're just mired in, in bondage to sin, they matter because they were created in the image of God and they're going to spend eternity somewhere. Either in heaven or hell. And so it should impact how we think about people, how we treat people, right? This truth, again, (laughs) don't have time to study all of Genesis, right, Uh, in one setting, but this truth should impact how we think about work, too, right? 
work is good. God gave us work before the fall, right? Now, because of the fall, Genesis 3, work is frustrating. Things don't, <laughs> things don't work right, right? It's by the sweat of our brow now. There's pain, there's, there's frustration, but work itself is good. And see, our society doesn't say that, right? Our society thinks, well, you know, let's just get to the weekend, you know? And I understand rest and comfort. Okay, fine, that's fine. But I mean, our society is just like, ah, oh, work, I can't wait to get to Friday, you know? Or, well, yeah, I'm just working just to, just to pay for stuff, you know? That's short-sighted. No, our work whether, and again, when I say work, I'm just saying what, any, everything we do is an opportunity to bring glory to God. It's an opportunity for us to live out the image of God. <laughs> to bring chaos to order, to, to rule, to reflect the goodness of God. Marriage, children. Two things that our secular culture diminishes, Right? Ah, oh, marriage, you know, who needs that? Just, just live together, just, you know. Children, oh gosh. Man, what a burden those are, right? You know, we want to be able to travel. We want to be able to do whatever, everything we can do and spend, you know, have all this money to spend on ourselves. Oh, marriage, children are blessings from God, are gifts from God. We can bring glory to God through marriage and raising children. And again, all... Christians, whether married or single, whether parent or childless, bring glory, can bring glory to God by reflecting him in all of our relationships, in our families, in the body of Christ, with our co-workers and neighbors. We can, by God's enabling, by the Spirit's power, we can bring glory to God and display, by displaying his character as the life of Christ is increasingly lived in us and through us. You see how this gives us purpose in life? To know God, to bring glory to him. There's no meaningless day. There's no meaningless tasks. Every day is an opportunity to be in fellowship with the Lord. Enjoy our relationship, our reconciled relationship with him. And to bring glory to him by living out the image of God. And living out the gospel. So many passages that talk about that, I, I won't belabor those, but 1 Corinthians 10.31 is a good summary, right? Everything you do, do it to bring glory to God. Again, foundationally, our purpose, right? I'm talking about, this is under that heading, we have a purpose. Why am I here? Why, why was I given life? Our purpose is to know God and bring glory to Him. Many of you are probably familiar with the Westminster Shorter Catechism. What is the chief end of man? Question number one. Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. So you are not an accident. Your life is not meaningless. God chose to create you. He chose to give you life. He brought you into this world that you may know him and bring glory to him. And that's only possible through Jesus Christ. And so if you're not in Christ, if you don't know Christ, I urge you to run to him, embrace him as Lord and Savior. Let's pray. Father, we 
Again, we are in awe of you. Lord, we bow before you. You are the sovereign creator. You are the life giver. You alone have life in and of yourself. You are the eternal one. And we praise you and we see the the creation, the works of your hands. Even in this fallen world, creation declares your glory. We've seen that this this past week, even with the, the, the bright pictures of the moon above the, the mountains and the, some of the glorious sunsets against the clouds. Oh, Father, we, we praise you. We thank you for giving us life. Thank you for sustaining our lives, Lord. Thank you for causing us to have life at this time and in this place. Father, please help us to be grateful, help us be humble, help us live in dependence on you. And we thank you so much for um, creating us in your image. And we praise you for the work of, of the gospel, the work of Christ, the finished work of Christ. That he has undone all that sin has, has wrecked. He's restoring, he's making all things new. That we can be reconciled to you and we can increasingly reflect your glory. Help us to do that, Father. And I pray for any here today, Lord, who are confused, who are discouraged. Lord, we know this world... um, sends all kinds of distorted messages, even about gender. We saw that in the passage today, that we are created male and female. And yet our society is even seeking to to distort that. Father, for any here today who are just having questions or without hope, Lord, may you draw near to them. By your spirit, may you speak to them and, and remind them that you created them, that you know them, you formed them. You've given them life for a purpose. And may each one here today come to know you through your son, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, amen. Amen. Will you stand, please? We will... Sing another song of praise to our God.